Have you ever had um, somebody give you a piece of advice that you knew was it was good and it was right, it was wise advice, uh, and you had absolutely no idea how to follow it? <laughs> I remember when, you know, way back in the day when I was younger and fitter and more flexible and less arthritic, when, like, I wasn't old, uh, my friends and I used to go rock climbing all the time. And I wasn't one of the better rock climbers. There were others who were far better than me. But we would drive up to Milton and we would climb the escarpment there at the Buffalo Compound or Rattlesnake, it was called. And, and we would basically, you know, you'd climb. You got 50, 60 feet of rock or whatever. And you're climbing it up. And it was tons of fun. Except that for some of us who were more like on the beginner end, there were not infrequently, you'd be climbing up the rock and you'd get yourself into sort of a situation where you really didn't know what to do next. You're kind of hanging there and you're looking and you don't see anywhere to really put your hands or where to take the next step. And so, I mean, instinctively, everybody did this. You'd yell over your shoulder down to everybody on the ground. You'd go, hey, uh, where do I go now? And inevitably, somebody down on the ground, some smart aleck, that wasn't the word we used at the time, would yell, I think you need to go uh, up. And they'd all laugh and you'd be mad. And then like sometime later in the afternoon, you'd be on the ground and somebody would yell, hey, where do I go? And the person would say, I think you need to go up. And then you'd laugh because comedy is all about context. But, uh, or you'd be up on the rock and you'd been there for like 20 minutes and your fingers are numb and your knees, your legs are shaking under the strain and you're really, you're getting tired and so you yell down, hey, you know what, I'm done. I, I'm dying up here. And somebody down below would yell, well... What doesn't kill you only makes you stronger. And they wouldn't let you down. <laughs> yeah, well, those were, you're like, you know what, you're right. If I can press on, I'll grow in my ability to climb. I just, I literally don't know how, have any idea how to do that right now. And I kind of think that's how James's readers are feeling by this point in the letter that he's been writing. James is writing as a pastor to a community of people who are going through the hardest, most painful circumstance they've ever gone through in their lives. They've had to drop everything and run for their lives and they're living as refugees and, and their life has literally never been harder. And James writes to them and says, you know, you should be thankful for the supreme privilege of going through these painful circumstances because if you let them they will grow your faith strong and you will become mature in the way that you follow Jesus and you'll begin to experience the meaningfulness, the, the filling and fulfilling life of becoming the person God has created you to be. You know, if you will respond in the right way to your circumstances, if you respond with wisdom, knowing the right thing to do. And by the way, James says, God will give you wisdom. God will tell you what to do if you ask in the spirit of being committed to doing what he says, to choosing the kind of faithfulness that transforms your, um, your faith into looking more like Jesus and you get to experience life rather than giving into temptation and choosing sin to kind of... Um, you know, escape your pain and suffering and, and ultimately experiencing self-destruction. 
And his readers have got to be reading this. They're like, yeah, I get it. You're right. I know what you're saying. I just have no idea how I would do that. How do I experience that kind of transformation um, through these difficult circumstances? And James, kind of where we landed last week, gives them sort of his bottom line. He says this, God chose to give us birth through the word of truth. James says, here's how God's doing it. I'll tell you how God is changing you. He says, God is giving you birth. He is birthing a new thing in you. He's making you brand new. You're a brand new human being and he's doing it through the word of truth. And that's where we're gonna focus on this morning because that's what James begins to focus on. How does God transform our lives through the word of truth? Which to begin with, what is the word of truth? Um, if you've been around church for a while, you're a seasoned veteran when it comes to you know, worship on Sundays or reading the Bible or whatever. Every time you hear the phrase word of, you have your suspicions, right? That the author's talking with this. This is the word of truth. This is the word of God. This is the word of life. This is you know, uh, the word of the Lord. That basically James is talking about the Bible. And while he's not not talking about the Bible, that's not what he means. In the New Testament, when the Bible writers talk about the word of truth or the word of the Lord or the word of life or the word of God, they're not talking about the Bible. They're talking about the message of Jesus. The Bible says Jesus is the word of God. Jesus is the definitive thing that God has to say to humanity, which primarily is that he loves us so much that he came for us in the person of Jesus. He came to rescue us from the control that sin and evil have on our lives and over our world. And if we will trust Jesus with every part of our lives, he will rescue us from sin and death and transform our lives in the name of love until Jesus returns and unleashes the fullness of the love of God on all of creation for all of eternity. Jesus' life is the word of truth. It's the truth about who God is because God has made himself perfectly known in Jesus who is the exact representation of who God is. His life is the word of truth about who we could be, about who we were created to be, about what a human life looks like when it's lived in a deep love for God and a complete love for yourself as someone who's loved by God and abiding love for everybody around you in a sacrificial love for the sake of the world. That's what Jesus teaches by his very life. And then his death and resurrection are the word of life. Through Jesus' death and resurrection, God offers us forgiveness for the times when we haven't lived in love for God and ourselves and each other in the world. And through Jesus' resurrection, he gives us his spiritual power to transform us into the image, Jesus, image of Jesus so that we can increasingly live the life of love that he's called us to do. James says, God is birthing something new in you through the person and life and work and message of Jesus. 
Now, where do we encounter it? The word of truth. Well, we, we find the word of truth in here. Jesus is the living word of God. This is the written word of God. This is the testimony of, of men and maybe some women who, you know, thousands of years ago had an encounter of the saving power of God and wrote about what God is doing and, and has been doing and will do through the life of Jesus in the world. We encounter it through preaching, the proclaimed word of God, the preached word of God. You know, when preaching is done right, so maybe not here so much, but other places they experience it that way. When, when God sends somebody with a message that he fills with the power of his Holy Spirit that is about what Jesus has done and is doing and will do in the world. We encounter it in other ways. We encounter it in podcasts. We encounter it in worship music. We encounter it in books and blogs. We encounter it in, in conversations with deep-spirited friends who share or are searching out a faith in Jesus Christ. We encounter the word of truth through all of these areas. But, it's, but, it is, but James says we will only encounter the transformative work of God in our life through the message of Jesus if we come to it with the proper kind of attitude. You have to be a certain kind of person for God to be able to transform your life through the word of truth, through the message of Jesus in scripture and in preaching and, and so on. And so James picks up what he says by describing the kind of person whose life is transformed by the message of Jesus. He says this in verse 19, my dear brothers and sisters, Take note of this. This is important. Write this down, he says. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. James says, listen, there are, there are three characteristics of people whose lives are going to be transformed by the message of Jesus. They're people who are quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. I want to look at these, these second two first and put them under the heading, James, uh, this heading. James says, if you want your life to be transformed by the message of Jesus, number one, you have to eliminate arrogance. That's what he's talking about. People who are quick to speak are people who are living in the arrogance of being opinionated. Right? You've, you've talked to people like this before. You've had a conversation with somebody. And as you're sharing your story, or you're sharing your perspective or your opinion or whatever, all of a sudden it dawns on you. You look at the other person's face and you realize they're not listening to you at all. They, they don't care what your opinion is. The only thing they're doing in that moment is they're calculating exactly what they're going to say the second you pause to take a breath. Because actually they're not at all interested in what you have to say. They're only interested in what they have to say. They don't, they don't want you to speak. They're just waiting for their turn to start speaking. They're the ones who want to air their own opinions about whatever it is you're talking about. Because at the end of the day, they are convinced that they're right and you're wrong. So what you're saying is irrelevant. What they are about to say is important. That's what James is talking about when he says everybody should be slow to speak 
Everybody should stop being so arrogantly opinionated and so eager to tell everybody else what you know. Because, and here's the point, when you are postured or when, you are, when you're engaged in a conversation in the posture of a teacher, you are not at that moment being a learner. Right? Teachers are learners. Don't get me wrong. I did a lot of learning to bring this message this morning, but I did all of that learning before, earlier. Right now, I'm in the posture of a teacher, and I am learning very little from any of you, right? <laughs> Some of you, because we're not even in the same room right now, but even the people who are in the room with me, I'm learning very little from you, except for whether or not you think my jokes are funny and whether or not you're tracking with what I say. That's all I'm learning right now, because when you're postured as a teacher, you cannot simultaneously be a learner. And that's kind of James's point. That if you think that what everybody really needs is to hear your opinions and you don't need to hear anybody else's opinions, then really you've postured yourself as a teacher rather than a learner and you're never, ever, ever going to grow because of the arrogance that assumes that your opinions are already right, they're the important ones, and that's what everybody else needs to hear. James says, no, 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 no. If the message of Jesus is going to transform your life, it's going to be because you've eliminated the arrogance of being opinionated. It's going to be because you've eliminated the arrogance of being argumentative. Right? It's not just that we want other, pe we want other people to hear our opinions instead of having to listen to other people's opinions. Really, bottom, bottom, bottom line, we think we're right and everybody else is wrong and when other people start to, you know, passionately advance their own opinions, we actually get angry. And we feel like that's a challenge to a fight. And I get why. Faith is an important part of my identity. Argument, argue it. What am I trying to say? Arguably. It is the most important part of my identity. I'm a husband. I'm a father. I'm a son. I'm a brother. I'm a teacher, I'm a pastor, I'm a student, I'm all sorts of things. But the most fundamental identity that I have is as a follower of Jesus Christ. And when I get convinced that my identity as a follower of Jesus is tied up in me having right beliefs about what the Bible says or right beliefs about what it looks like to live a Christian faith. Or it, when, I get, when I get convinced that being right about what I believe is fundamental to my following of Jesus, then when somebody approaches me with a different opinion and disagrees with me and has the audacity to imply that I'm wrong and they're right, that, that isn't just two ideas being compared side by side. That is a threat to my identity. You are saying that I am an illegitimate follower of Jesus Christ. And what do we do when we feel threatened, right? We freeze and just ignore it. Or we engage in flight, we run away, right? We leave the relationship. We leave the church. People have left our church and some of them because they just don't like some things that I believe. Or we fight, right? We put up the dukes and we have it out to try and um, humiliate people who disagree with us, to try and bully people into agreeing with us, to try and punish people for having the audacity of suggesting that we're wrong, right? We, we fight about 
everything, the, the most imponderable thing to me about the Christian community is how much we fight about beliefs. And of course, have your own convictions. Hold them strongly. Don't be afraid to air them out. Don't be afraid to disagree with people. But the second that turns into the arrogance of being opinionated or the arrogance of being argumentative, you have turned it into something ugly. Well, in fact, James tells you what you've turned it into. Verse 21, he says, Therefore, get rid of all the moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent. He's talking about the arrogance of being opinionated and the arrogance of being argumentative. He says, he calls it moral filth. And he says, it's so prevalent. And by the way, James didn't even know about the internet. He didn't know about the comments section. Never read the comments on the internet. He didn't know about how nasty people can become online. He didn't know about Twitter and Facebook. And already he says it's prevalent. It's, only, it's a million times more prevalent now opinionatedness, argumentativeness, fighting with each other about beliefs. He says, you got to get rid of all that stuff and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. This is what he means when he says, be quick to listen. Let your first instinct when encountering the message of Jesus in the written word of God, in a sermon, in a podcast, in a book, in a blog, um, be, let your first instinct be to listen. And the more you disagree with the person, the more, the deeper your commitment to listening should be. James says, instead of airing your opinions, stop with all the assertions. Instead, choose to ask questions. Why do you see it that way? Where does that come from? Show me in the scriptures. How did you learn about this? Like become super curious and inquisitive about where the other person is coming from. He says, do it humbly. I, I looked up the word humbly in my New Testament dictionary. It says, to be not overly impressed with your own self-importance. To live in a posture where the other person is more important than you. Where what they think matters more than what you think. To love somebody else enough to give their ideas a genuine listening and a true engagement. Asking yourself in humility, since this is a good and godly person, um, what can I learn from them about following Jesus? Uh, somebody, oh, Paul Ricoeur, a philosopher, once said that it is impossible to come to understand anything except in the presence of a divergent opinion. You can only ever come to understand something in the presence of somebody who disagrees with you. So when you find somebody who disagrees with you, in humility, ask them a million questions and find out what you can learn from them. How to deepen your understanding from their different perspective. But here's James's point, the bottom line. James's point is, if you want the message of Jesus to transform your life, you got to care about what God says. You, you can't just care about your opinion, the convictions you already hold, the beliefs you already have, the way you already practice faith. You can't, you know, because that's what we care about. We care about our opinions. We care about our lifestyle. We care about the way we choose to live our faith. We care about, um, you know, getting to do things our way. We care about our rights. We care about certain things. But instinctively, we don't care to have our beliefs questioned 
or challenged. We don't care to have our lifestyle called into question. We don't care to have somebody suggest that maybe our choices might be sinful. We don't care to have somebody second guess the way that we're living our life, right? And James says, if that's your posture, that you're going to do things your way and you don't care what anybody else says, you don't care what the scriptures say or what the message of Jesus says, you're just going to cling to your opinions and perspectives. You're just going to keep doing what you're doing. You are never going to grow to maturity in faith. You have to Eliminate arrogance and embrace humility. Quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to get angry, because when you get angry, nobody's being transformed into the image of Jesus. So how does that work? James says, well, yeah, you gotta be quick to listen, but he says there's more than that. This is what he says in verse 22. Don't merely listen to the word. He just said, be quick to listen, and now he says, but don't only listen. He says, don't merely listen to the word and so deceive yourself. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks in his face in the mirror and then immediately after looking at himself, he goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. James says, yes, you have to be a quick and eager and genuine listener when you encounter the message of Jesus in scripture or in a sermon or in a podcast or, you know, in a book or a blog or wherever you encounter it, you have to be a quick listener. But listening is not enough. You have to do what it says. And he compares it metaphorically to looking in a mirror. He says, looking into the scriptures or looking into the message of Jesus is like looking into a, a mirror. What's the point of looking into a mirror? I think some of us probably ask ourselves that question every morning. We look in the mirror and we think, what's the point? (laughs) But the point, what do you see when you look in the mirror? You see two things, right? I mean, what you see is you. You see your image. You see the image of the person you are. You see everything about who you've been uniquely created to be. You see the you-ness of you, especially if your name's Eunice. Sorry, my wife will hate that one. Um, <laughs> you see your mother's eyes and your father's chin and your grandfather's nose and you, you just see who you are. But what else do you see? You see all of the ways in which you aren't being the best you that you can be. You see your bedhead. You see your acne. You see that you haven't shaved. You see the bags or the circles around your eyes. You see the spinach in your teeth. You see things that you could do to become a better version of the you you've been created to be. And James says that's exactly what happens when you look at the message of Jesus in the scripture, when you're confronted with the message of Jesus in a sermon or in a podcast or wherever else. He says, really, you are seeing two things. You're seeing, you're being presented with the picture of who you were created to be, of the the possibility of you, of what your life would look like if the power and the love of God were allowed to invade it and you became a person who was living increasingly like Jesus. You see the possibility of what life could be but you simultaneously you see the ways in which you're falling short of being the view you've been created to be and you're being challenged with the question what can I do right now to become more of the person that God has created to be with God's help because no one can do this without 
the forgiveness and transformation that comes through the death and resurrection of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. So James says there's two things. There's two steps to looking in a mirror. Number one, you have to look and you have to look carefully. And the same is true with the message of Jesus. Let's say if you're going to find it in the scriptures. You have to look. You have to be reading this thing. Reading it regularly. Reading it every day. Reading it, you know, there's reading plans. There's one-year Bibles. And I don't care if you read through it a year. That's intimidating. Read it in two years or three years or four years. Who cares? It's not a race. Just be reading it every day. If you're not a reader... Get an audio version and listen to it. Put it on in your commute or as you're going for a walk or a bike ride. Or just expose yourself to the teaching of scripture. Bring a Bible to church on Sunday and follow along. Read for yourself. You have to be reading it regularly. You have to be reading it deeply. Not just content with the surface meaning, which, by the way, the meaning that we first get out of the scriptures is the one we're looking for. The one that already agrees with what we already believe. And so we have to ask ourselves the question, what else is there? How do I go deeper? How do I understand this better? And maybe even challenge some things that I've always thought are true. You have to invest the time in reading it deeply. I'm always amazed. We'll spend all day Saturday at a coaching clinic to be a better coach. Or we'll go to the gym every day of the week, right, to be fitter as, and be healthier as a human being. But we won't, and we, we're just too busy to invest the time to actually sit and study and read the scriptures deeply. Got to read it slowly sometimes. Not about reading lots, it's about reading little and just meditating on turning it over in your head, repeating it to yourself all day long. So you think about it, mull it over, or memorize it. Um, read it imaginatively um, and imagine yourself in the story. It's, we have to be looking if we're going to see. I would say the, the number one rule for reading the scriptures, read it in community. It's never meant to be read alone anyway. So find somebody whose life looks like Jesus to you and ask them to read the Bible with you. Ask them to show you how to read it. Ask them to help you unpack it. And the two of you will read together. Reading in community. Reading in community with people you disagree with. Reading in community with people who are different than you. In socioeconomic background and race and, and you know, theological background. People who grew up outside the church and inside the church. Just find as many different people as you who, who see the scriptures differently and then read it together. And by the way, if you go to our website, southridgechurch.ca, you click the magnifying glass you can type personal resources and it'll take you to a page where we have all sorts of resources for reading the bible regularly and slowly and deeply and all all of that stuff but you got to be looking and when you're looking you're really you're asking yourself four questions number one what is this saying about who god is number two what is this saying about who i am and who i'm created to be and number three what choice do i need to make so that with God's help, I can be more of the person I was created to be, which is a person who lives a life of love. And number four, what's stopping me from making that choice? What am I afraid of? Those questions. Who's God? What does it say about who I am? What does it say about what choices I need to make to be more like Jesus? And what's stopping me from making those choices? That's it. You, but you got to take the time. James says, if it's a mirror, you got to take the time to look. But then he says... Don't just look. You got to do what it says. He says, if you look in the mirror and you see the bedhead and the acne and the shaving and the spinach in your teeth, and you kind of look and you go, 
Nah. And you walk out. He said, what was the point in the first place? You haven't changed at all. You haven't become more of the person you were created to be. If you're going to engage with the scriptures, you actually have to do what it says. I think that we are surrounded by people in our churches who are soaked in the scriptures, steeped in the scriptures, who've been in church a long time and they know their Bible inside out and they've read it every year for 10 years and they do devotions every morning. They listen to podcasts when they drive and they're, they're literally exposed almost continuously to information about what it looks like to follow Jesus and who at the end of the day do not in their life remind people of any, uh, anything of Jesus. Who at the end of the day are still arrogant and opinionated who at the end of the day are still argumentative and divisive, who are joyless, loveless, anxious, impatient, unkind. They're not good to people. They're faithless and harsh and rude and they lack self-control, impulse control. They just, they just don't resemble Jesus in any way. And James says, if you are steeped in the scriptures and listening to what it says, but your life doesn't resemble Jesus, guess what? You're deceiving yourself about your faith. You think you're mature and you're not. You think that this is what it means to be a Christian and it isn't. For some of us, you think you're a Christian and you're not following Jesus at all because this is true. This is James. Christian maturity, your life of faith, is not measured by what you know, but by what you do. And yes, truth is important. We've got to keep learning and all that. That's why you were a listener. But you, the, your life of faith is not measured or judged by what you know, but by what you do. There are people who have been following Jesus for one month who are more mature Christians than people who have been doing it their whole lives because they are steeped in the scriptures, but they aren't resembling Jesus in their lives. James says, if all you do is expose yourself to teaching, but you don't actually live out the thing that you're learning, you are fooling yourself about your faith. So here's how he concludes. He says, but those... Whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they've heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Who is blessed? The person who does four things. Who looks intently into the teaching, the message of Jesus. Who studies it, reads it regularly, deeply, slowly, in community, whatever. You just intent on understanding the message of Jesus. The person who continues in it. You don't do it in fits and starts. It's like your lifestyle. It is what you do. You're just kind of known as the person who always has a Bible with you or whatever. You're just, this is your life. Who looks intently and continues in it, not forgetting. It's not like you're doing your devotion in the morning to check a box and then you forget about it for the rest of the day. You don't even remember what you read in the morning and it makes no difference. You, you look intently, you, can, you do it continuously you don't forget what you've read, but instead you live it out in your life. That's the person who's being the one transformed into the image of Christ. That is the person learning to love God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. Love him deeply. The person who's learning to love themselves completely as one who's loved by God, leaving aside shame and unworthiness. That's the person who's learning um, to love the people around them. 
doing for others what you wish they would do for you. That's the person who's learning to love the world sacrificially, learning to give up anything and everything so other people can experience the love of God. And Jesus and James say, there is no deeper, better, richer, filling and fulfilling life than that one. That's the person who's truly blessed. The one who listens to learn and then who does what the scriptures say. So here's the question. We've been in this series of James. This is our fifth Sunday. You've now listened to over two and a half hours of me talking about this book. What's God been saying to you? I want to give you a minute just to reflect on this series. I'm going to, in just one minute, I'm going to put up on the screen four simple sentences that essentially describe the four things that God has communicated through the letter of James to our community this month. And as we put them up on the screen, what I want you to do is I want you to read them and prayerfully reflect, God, what have you been saying to me over this last month? And then the second question is this, what do you want me to do about it? So, Here are the four sentences. This is what we've learned this month. That God can use our painful circumstances to grow our faith. That God will give wisdom to everyone who desires to follow it. That radical generosity can save us from the spiritual disability of wealth. And that in every situation, we can choose faithfulness instead of sin. As you look at those sentences, which of those sentences is the one that presses most deeply into your spirit? Which one do you feel God drawing you to? As you remember back the sermons that you've heard this month, which is the one where you felt God moving inside of you, where you had that sense, oh no, this one is for me. Here's what I want you to do. And then the band will come up and lead us as we close. I want you to sit for a second in the quietness with God. You can journal, you can just pray, you can reflect however you want to use this time. I just want you to sit and ask God, what do you want me to do with what I have heard this month? This is your time with God. Be quick to listen.